can be turning in your Bibles to Psalm 42. Psalm 42 is the psalm that we will be looking at today. The plan over the next few weeks, uh, about eight weeks, is now to begin going consecutively in, in, in order through these psalms, starting with 42, so probably finish at Psalm 49. Uh, doing that because, you know, sometimes it's easier to just, easy to just pick your favorite psalms or the psalms that you think people might enjoy listening to, but we want to uh, learn the whole counsel of God, uh, and maybe there will be some psalms in here that you are less familiar with. And so we want to just cover a whole range of different types of psalms. Now this one you probably are more familiar with, Psalm 42. Before I read it, just a note uh, that I'm going to read 42 and 43 together. And that's because I think that they were actually originally one psalm. Now these chapter divisions and verse divisions, they're not inspired. They were not part of the original writing. Um, And there's some evidence that uh, they were one psalm. Uh, because in some of the manuscripts, there, there was no break between these two psalms. They just were together. You also notice that there is no title uh, to Psalm 43. So 42, you see a title there, to the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah. And then Psalm 44, if you look right up at the top there, it also says to the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah. But Psalm 43 doesn't have any title. And that's probably because it was just a continuation of what we call 42. And we also see a common theme in these two psalms, that verse, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Uh, It's repeated in Psalm 42, verse 5, in verse 11, and then Psalm 43, verse 5, as the conclusion. So it seems like Psalm 43, verse 5, is really concluding this whole psalm. So all that to say, I'm going to read them together. Uh, We won't have time today to go through all of them, so we'll kind of be looking at them in two parts regardless. Uh, But it's important, I think, to know uh, that there's a common theme with these two. So let me read now uh, Psalm 42, verse 1 uh, until the end of 43. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? 
As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is the word of our Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in your word. We thank you for the Psalms, which uh, reveal to us uh, even our, our own hearts and how we are to come before you and how we can pour out our hearts to you as many of these Psalms do. We pray, O Lord, that you would teach us your ways in your word, that we might walk in your truth. Help us to learn from you by your Holy Spirit this afternoon. And we pray that through all these things you would be glorified, that we would worship you more and love you more. And we ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Last week we talked about worry and anxiety and fear. Uh, This week we're talking about discouragement, another common emotion that many people face. Now, some of you struggle with discouragement more than others of you. We have an expression here that uh, you can look at life as as a glass half empty or a glass half full. The glass has the same amount of water in it, but depending on your personality or your perspective, you might be discouraged about that or encouraged about that. Some of you uh, are glass half full kind of people. You're the kind of person who gets fired and says, oh, well, it's okay. Just another opportunity for me to try something new. Uh, you're, you're so positive about everything that happens in life. And others, maybe, when things happen, you just think, why is this happening to me again? You are the glass half empty kind of person. So some of you might struggle with discouragement more than others, but all of us will get discouraged at some point in our lives, and many points in our lives, really. All of us will probably struggle spiritually with discouragement, or what some people call spiritual depression. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote a great book about this called Spiritual Depression, because many people in the church face that. Another book uh, was written by a Puritan named William Bridge, who wrote a lifting up for the downcast. And he talks about how Christians can be downcast in their souls. He he preached 11 sermons on verse 5 of Psalm 42, and and it became a book. 
And let me just give you some of the reasons that he mentions of why we can be spiritually discouraged. Sometimes it's because of outward afflictions. So things happen to you in life. Sometimes it's because you might feel that God is distant from you. Or because of a great sin that you have committed that really discourages you. Or because of negligence of your own duties. So maybe you are not spending time in worship as you should or in prayer as you should. And that discourages you. Maybe you feel immature in your faith. Especially if you compare yourself to other people. And you expect that you would be more mature by now, but you're not. Or maybe you feel useless for the kingdom of God. And you see other people and their gifts and how they can serve the kingdom. They, they serve the church, but you're not sure that you're very useful for Christ. And then others may lack assurance, as we heard about this morning. Maybe you lack assurance and you wonder if you're really even a believer at all. Those are just some of the reasons that people face spiritual discouragement from. And maybe you, right now, are facing one of those. And this psalm is for you. This psalm here is an example for us of how we are to deal with that discouragement when it comes. That spiritual depression in our lives. How we can go to God with that and how we can pour out our hearts to Him. And how we can... Talk to ourselves and challenge ourselves to hope in God. Remind ourselves that God is our salvation. That's what this psalm is here for us to do. And this afternoon we're going to be looking at uh, two main points. Uh, First, the great thirst in the first four verses. And then the great sorrow in verses five to seven. Uh, We're going to end with uh, some of the the hope that is in this psalm, but we're really going to dig into that more next week and focus on on how we can have hope in our discouragement through this psalm. So the thirst and the sorrow is our main focus for today. Uh, Let's begin with looking at the thirst in the first four verses. And in the first two, we notice the fact that he is thirsty. He mentions his thirst. He says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? I will never forget this experience that I have, and and I will probably use it as as a story in my sermons many times, and you'll get tired of hearing it. Uh, my son, uh, last year, my son and I went to the Badlands in South Dakota. The Badlands is a national park that is pretty much a desert, which is pretty amazing. It's in the middle of the Great Plains, the Midwest, there's this desert. And it's just a bunch of rocks in these amazing formations. And uh, for reasons we won't get into, we ended up going on a camping trip there. Uh, and we had enough water for a day. And so we were going to camp by a water source so that we could, you know, boil the water and we could stay there longer than a day. So we looked at the map and we began hiking and hiking because on the map there was one creek in all the Badlands that we saw on the map, Sage Creek. 
So we hike and we hike and we hike. It's very hot. It's the Badlands. You know, it's a desert. And um, we finally get to the creek. And we were very disappointed. It was uh, about three inches of water. And it was not a clean stream at all. It was basically like a beige color, full of dirt, full of the sand from the Badlands. And so uh, we were not able to camp for more than a day. All we could uh, survive off of was the water that we were carrying. There was no way we could drink that water. And that uh, memory sticks out to me so often as I read uh, about the Old Testament in the land of Israel, which was a very similar climate. It was a semi-arid desert in much of Israel. And I wondered and on that camping trip, how do all these animals survive out here if there's just this dirty creek in the Badlands? And that's kind of the, the image of verses 1 and 2, that there's this deer running through a wilderness, basically um, something that's mostly desert. There's not a lot of water around. And the deer is being chased, probably by a, a predator. And so it's very hot, very tired, and it may be about to die. And the deer probably knows better uh, where the water source is. And so the deer is running and running and running, looking for this source of water. And when it finally arrives... To the stream. The deer is not disappointed. The deer finds a fresh and clear stream and drinks and is refreshed. And the deer is renewed in its life. And so this psalm says that like this deer, depending and desiring for this clear stream of water in the desert, that his soul desires and pants for and longs after and thirsts for God and to be in the presence of God. And that is a challenge to you and me. Does your soul thirst for God? Are, are you dying to be in the presence of God? Are you longing above all things? Are you finding refreshment and life and joy just in the ability to come and appear before God? Are you longing for the presence of God? Well, that's the challenge that this verse faces us with and, and the duty that it calls us to. But notice it, it's also presenting us with some good news. Yes, we are to thirst for God in this way. But the good news is that God has revealed to us here the source of living water. God has revealed to us how we can have our thirst quenched. He's told us what will really satisfy us. He has given us the map with the clear stream that you can go to and not be disappointed. The map says that if you thirst for God you will be satisfied. You will find life if you come to this source of living water. It also shows us the worth of God. God is so glorious that He's like this unending stream that if you come to Him, you will not be disappointed. And maybe you have had this experience where you maybe desire some, some kind of food some food that looked really good to you. 
Maybe you saw it on the menu. And you got it, and you ate it, and nah, wasn't really that good. But maybe there are some foods that you really like. And there's a restaurant, or there's a place, there's a country, and they have this kind of food. And you long, you man, you, you really want that food again. And every time you go, every time you get that dish, you are not disappointed. Well, that tells you something about how good the food is, doesn't it? And that's what the psalm is saying about God. God is so glorious. He is so worthy that if you come to him, and you come to him over and over and over again, you will not say, eh, that was okay. No, but he will refresh you, rejuvenate you, and he will bring you life. He is the water that satisfies. He is what truly brings joy and happiness. Uh, Stephen Charnock says, Happiness cannot perish as long as God lives, because he is the first and the last, the first of all delights, because there is nothing before him, and the last of all pleasures, because there is nothing beyond him. He is the one who gives true happiness. And you come to him and you will be satisfied. You probably are familiar with how Jesus talks about this with himself in the New Testament. And especially when he's talking to this woman in Samaria in John chapter 4. And he tells her that he knows where she can find living water. Water that gives life that will satisfy her and that will make her never thirst again. Of course, he's talking about himself. Jesus calls himself this living water. And he mentions in that conversation with her that he knows that she has had five husbands and that the one that she is with is not her husband. And it seems that the reason Jesus brings that up is because he knows that she has spent her life trying to be satisfied. Looking for man after man, husband after husband, saying maybe this will be the thing that brings me the happiness in life that I want. And Jesus comes to her and says, no, you are talking to the one who can give you living water, who will always satisfy you. Jesus is the stream of living water. You thirst for him. And if you come to him, You will find life and you will be refreshed. So God calls to you to come to him through Jesus Christ. Pant for him, thirst for him, and you will be satisfied. So we see the psalmist is thirsty in the first two verses. Now we get more specifics about why he is so thirsty in verses 3 and 4. And actually starting at the end of verse 2, he says, when shall, I, when shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. So 
What's he so thirsty for? What is he thirsty about? Well, he desires to come and appear before God. He is so saddened by this that he says there in verse 3, his tears are his food. He, he doesn't even feel like eating. He's so depressed, discouraged. And his enemies are saying, where is your God? Is it, it appears that he is far away from God, that even his enemies recognize this. And so he's thinking back in verse 4. And what does he remember? What is he thinking about as he's pouring out his soul to God? He remembers how he would go with the throng, the crowds. He's talking about the festivals of, the, of, of Israel and how they would make their pilgrimage to Jerusalem and they would go up to the temple a few times a year for these special festivals. And at the temple, they would have these glad shouts and singing together on their way up to the temple and keeping the festivals and how he would lead them. This is a psalm of the sons of Korah, and that was the rule of the sons of Korah. They were the Levites who were the leaders of the music, of the worship. And so he's missing that he cannot go to the temple. He's far away. He's not able to come into the presence of God. And so for Israel to be in the physical presence of God was to be at the temple in Jerusalem. That's what he longs for. He longs for the place where God's glory was present. And God reveals himself at the temple. Uh, He is longing to be there, but he can't. Now, as Christians, uh, we know that now God's presence is not uh, limited to this physical building in Jerusalem. Uh, That temple was destroyed in the year 70 AD. But the New Testament tells us that we don't need to go to that temple to be in the presence of God. John chapter 2 tells us that, first of all, Jesus was the fulfillment of that temple. He is the presence of God who came among us and, and dwelt among us. So if you really want to be in the presence of God, you want to be in Christ's presence. But beyond that, after Jesus rose from the dead, he gave us the Holy Spirit. And so we learn from Paul's letters that the, the Holy Spirit dwells in you when you have your faith in Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So in one sense, each Christian is like the temple. You have the presence of God in you. But we learn even more than that. Paul also says, like in 1 Corinthians 3, that you all, as the church, are the temple. And Peter, in 1 Peter 2, says that we together are like these living stones that together make up the temple. And so really, the the real ultimate fulfillment of the temple of the Old Testament is the church. It's the people of God. And it's when the people of God get together to worship God, God's presence is with us in a special way. In Revelation, it says at the, in those letters that, that Jesus is walking among us. Christ is with us as we gather to worship. If you want to be in the presence of God, the place to come is to gather with the people of God and worship Him. 
And he's especially given the Lord's day as that day when he calls his people and commands his people to come and worship him. This is what we call uh, the means of grace. The means of grace, the, the avenues or the channels by which God gives his grace, which God shows his presence. He strengthens you. He grows your faith through what we call the, the means, or the, the avenues of grace. And the main one is the worship of God among the church, where we pray together, we read his word, we hear his word preached, we baptize and we observe the Lord's Supper. Those are the means that God has designed for how to grow in your faith and for how to be in his presence. Imagine you go to one of these fast food restaurants. You know at these fast food restaurants that uh, when you order a soda, there is a specific place to get your soda, your Coke. There's a soda dispenser. And you don't go to the soda dispenser and click the thing that says Coke and expect ketchup to come out. And also, if you want your soda, you don't go to the bathroom and turn on the faucet and expect soda to come out. Because it's obvious. The owner of that restaurant, as in all fast food restaurants, has decided that through the soda dispenser, they will dispense your soda to you. So don't go to other places to try to find the soda. And don't go to the soda dispenser to try to find other things. But this is what people do with the presence of God. They want to find the presence of God anywhere else except for the place that God has said he will show his presence among his people in the church. They think, oh, I can find God. I can grow in my relationship with God over here and doing this and doing that. I don't need the church, but that's the very place that God has ordained. And then there are also people who will come to church and not realize the presence of God is with us. And that this is a means of God wanting to show you his, his grace. But instead, you're just here to be here, to try to go through motions. You're not here longing for the presence of God. And this is what the psalmist is doing. Longing for the presence of God to be um, with him in the temple. This is especially why God has given us the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day is the day that he has set apart to show us his grace and to be in his presence. And people talk about how that could be such a burden, such a burden to have to spend the day honoring the Lord. And the real question is, well, why would you choose anything else? When God has decided that He's opened up his presence for you to come into. You'd rather study for your science test? Like that's more interesting to you? No, oh, this is the day that God has blessed for, for a delight for you to gather in his presence. People talk about a second service as if it might be such a burden. 
Oh, do I really have to go to two? Now I know I'm preaching to the choir because you're all here at the afternoon service. But really, this is like the deer panting in the wilderness about to die and getting to the streams and saying, Oh, do I really have to drink twice? Oh, there are two fresh streams here. I just, I just like one stream. This is, this is what God is saying to us. I have given you streams of water. I've given you my presence. It's here every Lord's Day. Why don't you come and drink? Is this what you long for? To be in the presence of God. Do you miss gathering with God's people when you can't be there? I remember when COVID hit and you know, pretty much every church shut down for a little while. And I remember people's comments. Oh, wow. I never realized how much I missed church, how much I missed gathering for worship, which is a good thing. It's good that at that time they would miss it. But the sad part is that as you just look across America, after people started to gather for worship again, those very same people started to find every reason and excuse not to gather for the worship of God. In fact, they got used to not gathering. We shouldn't take for granted the blessing of being in God's presence. And this psalmist away from the presence of God is longing to be back again. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book called Life Together about the church. And he reminds us not to take this for granted. He says, it's by the grace of God that a congregation is permitted to gather visibly in this world to share God's word and sacrament. Not all Christians receive this blessing. The imprisoned and the sick and the scattered lonely, the proclaimers of the gospel and heathen lands, they stand alone. They know that visible fellowship is a blessing. They remember, as the psalmist did, how they went with the multitude to the house of God, quoting verse 4 here. But they remain alone in far countries, a scattered seed according to God's will. The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. Therefore, let him who until now has had the privilege of living in, the Christian, in life with other Christians praise God's grace from the bottom of his heart. Let him thank God on his knees and declare, It is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brethren. It's God's grace that we are allowed to gather here on this day and this afternoon and be in the presence of God. This is the psalmist's great thirst. This is what we should thirst after. Now, second, let's look at the great sorrow in this psalm. We see great sorrow in verses 5 to 7. He is away from the presence of God, And so he says in verse 5, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. 
uh, pastor and professor David Murray wrote a book called Christians Get Depressed Too. And that title always stuck out to me. Christians get depressed too. In fact, uh, you, may know, you may not know that many of our Christian heroes, people that we look up to as being great giants of faith, they experience depression or spiritual discouragement. Maybe you know Adoniram Judson, who was the first American missionary, and he went to Burma. Uh, he was a Baptist, and when he was there in, in Burma, his wife died after a little while. And when his wife died, he went into a spiral of depression. So bad that he dug a grave on his own, just completely dug a grave like six, eight feet deep. And then he stared at the grave for three days. He ate nothing and drank nothing. He just stared at the grave. And he says he almost at that point lost his faith. He was just sitting there thinking, wondering about God. Is God even real? Is God good? Spiraling in this deep pit of depression. And there's Charles Spurgeon. Uh, You'll probably get his biography through the summer as I preach every week. You're going to hear a Spurgeon story. Charles Spurgeon faced depression. Uh, It was sparked uh, largely by this one point in his church where uh, someone yelled fire. And there was a huge stampede. There wasn't actually a fire, but there's a stampede in his church as people were rushing out the door and uh, the balcony collapsed and seven people died. And he was just so burdened by the fact that these seven people died uh, at his church. That, that really sparked what he, a struggle with depression that lasted for many, many years in his life. Even these great heroes face these times like the person in this psalm of being cast down, feeling as if God has rejected them, as verse 2 of Psalm 43 says, feeling forgotten by God. Christians get depressed too. It could be, again, William Bridge, I mentioned all those reasons. It could be these things that happen in our lives. It could be our own hearts condemn us. As 1 John 3, verse 20 says, Beloved, if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. He knows that there are Christians, and you, are, you can be a genuine Christian, and yet your heart is constantly in turmoil within you, as verse 5 says. Your heart is constantly, you're beating yourself up. You're constantly doubting yourself. You're constantly telling yourself lies. Your hearts condemn you. And then Satan takes advantage of your sinful heart. John Calvin says that the soul of man is a workshop for Satan. And in that workshop, Satan is forging a thousand methods of despair. That's very true. Satan is constantly working in your heart to forge a thousand reasons for you to despair, to doubt God. And so here is this turmoil within him. He is wrestling within himself as as he's in turmoil, but he's trying to tell himself hope in God. But uh, there's there's this other part of him that that is uh, doubting God, that is downcast. He's far away, verse 6 tells us, from the temple. So he's in the land of Jordan. 
And that's why he's cast down. And then verse 7 tells us what this sorrow is like. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and waves have gone over me. The sorrow within him is like a giant waterfall. You're probably all close enough to Niagara Falls that you've probably all been there. And and I was there two years ago. It's amazing, right, how big the waterfall is. And to hear the sound of the waterfall. And you can just imagine being under the surface and how that water would fall and, and fall into the water and break the surface and go really far down. And that seems to be the kind of image that he's giving here. Uh, underneath where the water falls in and there's this, this roiling of water, deep calling unto deep. And now imagine that you're under there and you're trying to get up trying to get to the surface, but you keep getting pummeled and pummeled and pummeled by the constant water that is falling down. That's the breakers and the waves falling over me. He seems to be saying maybe literally that he is trying to to get back to the temple, but things keep stopping him. Maybe the enemies continue to stop him. Or maybe he's trying to encourage himself, hope in God, But then the enemies taunt him and it discourages him. And he can't get ahead. The breakers and waves, as things, the circumstances in life, just he feels like pummeling him over and over. And he's trying to have more faith. But he fails. And he feels just the deep calling unto deep. Uh, This also seems to be what Paul is talking about in Romans 8 when he says that There are groanings that are too deep for words. And sometimes when you're suffering, you can't even express your feelings in words. But he says in Romans 8, 26, the Spirit intercedes for us with those groanings too deep for words. Spirit knows what you're thinking, what you're feeling. The Spirit can take those wordless prayers and take them to God and prays for you. Deep calls unto deep. Groaning too deep for words. This is the kind of sorrow that he is feeling. Maybe even you are feeling that right now. At this point in your life. Or you felt it before. Well that brings us to the great hope that we have. And again we'll focus more on this uh, in Psalm 43. But we don't want to leave with the sorrow. We want to leave being reminded of the hope. Let's read verse 5 again. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. I shall yet praise Him, is how He has hope. He's telling himself to have hope in the fact that even as bleak as things may seem, even as sorrowful as he may be, as deep calls unto deep, there will yet be a time when he will praise God because God is his salvation. God has saved him. He knows that he belongs to God. 
He knows that God will keep him. For us who are Christians, God has saved us when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. If you have true faith and true repentance resting upon Christ as your Savior, then God is your salvation. He has dealt with your sins. He has rescued you from hell. And He will keep you to the end. That's the great promise that we have to know that salvation is God's and not of us. If God has saved us, then we can say we will yet praise Him. So we can have hope in God. As Paul says in Romans 8, If God did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not in Christ graciously give us all things? And so here's what we do. 1 John 3.20 says, Beloved, if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. That's what you need to tell yourself. As this verse puts it, you need to tell yourself to hope in God. Tell yourself that you will again praise Him. Tell yourself that God is your salvation, that He will keep you. Tell yourself, God is greater than my heart. Don't pay attention to how you are feeling. Don't pay attention to the deep calling to deep, the breakers and the waves, the inner turmoil within you. Don't pay attention to the taunts of the enemies. Don't pay attention to how far away you are from the temple, as the psalmist's case is. Don't focus on the outward afflictions. Don't focus on your feelings of immaturity or uselessness. Don't focus on your lack of feeling assured by the Holy Spirit. What you need to do is look to Christ. Someone once said, for every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. The way to grow in assurance is not to think about your assurance, but to think about Jesus. The way to feel forgiven of your sins is not to think about whether or not you're forgiven. It's to look to Christ. Think about Christ. Look at the glory of Jesus. Tell yourself God is greater than your heart. Tell yourself God has given you all things in Christ Jesus. All of God's promises are yes and amen through Jesus Christ. This is how we have hope. Telling ourselves to hope in God for we will again praise him. William Cooper was another saint who struggled with depression. He is a famous poet and hymn writer. And he wrote... One of the more famous hymns, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. And I'll close with these words. These words we need to talk to ourselves. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break with blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. 
So in your thirst and in your sorrow, preach these truths to yourself and hope in God. Let's pray together. God, we come to you as sinners in need of your grace. With turmoil within us and often with doubts and with Satan forging despair within and our own hearts condemning us. So we pray, Lord, that you would show us yourself. Show us who we are in Jesus Christ. By your Holy Spirit, may you sanctify us so that we would set our minds on things that are above where Christ is. And that by doing so, we might be transformed to become more like him. Lord, we thank you that in you, We have the greatest hope, and so we pray that we would put our hope in you through Jesus Christ. We ask all these things for your glory, for the sake of your name. Amen.